Gentlemen, welcome to Fight Club. The first rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. Second rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. Third rule of Fight Club, someone yells stop, goes limp, taps out, the fight is over. Fourth rule, only two guys to a fight. Fifth rule, one fight at a time, fellas. Sixth rule, no shirts, no shoes. Seventh rule, fights will go on as long as they have to. And the eighth and final rule, if this is your first fight, first night at Fight Club, you have to fight. Welcome to episode 12 of Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. Joined by my, yeah, my great host, uh, co-host here. Uh, you know, this is a special episode. We're talking about Fight Club and it's one nomination at the 72nd Academy Awards. <laughs> uh, that's the criteria that this show requires at least one nomination. And we thought it would be funny to throw Fight Club in here for the 90s cycle. Uh, Connor, is, yes. Fight Club, is Fight Club your favorite 1999 film? Your favorite Fincher film? <laughs> it might be my favorite Brad Pitt film. Okay. Oh, I like that angle. I like that. I think he is fantastic in this. Favorite Fincher film is is Seven. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Hands down. Favorite '99 film. Ah, that's a toughie. I immediately go to Office Space. Uh, wow. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Or The Matrix. '99 is a tough year to pick. Indeed. Um, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my favorite. My favorite film. Uh, of all time when people ask me i typically say magnolia that you know came out in 1999 so but fight club is probably my second favorite i love that you took the brad pitt angle what about edward norton oh he's amazing in this i the fact that they both (laughs) weren't up for anything is amazing to me this this movie was completely shut out like sound design was sound editing i feel like was just to like you know shut people up like they were afraid of this movie yeah, man. It's incredible what, what these two guys are doing uh, in this film. And also Helena Bonham Carter. I think she, over time, hasn't got as much respect as the other two guys because they're so damn good. But whew, she is, you know, this wonderful character in her own representing all these different things. We're going to get into Fight Club later on in the show. But what we do here is go through, you know, the awards that Fight Club was up for, which was just one. <laughs> And, and um, th- this is a little bit different, though, because we think it should have been up for five or six more. Uh, this is a really interesting year because American Beauty uh, won Best Picture, right? And that, that's interesting for multiple reasons because of the content within the movie. Uh, Kevin Spacey playing the main character. Um, do you find that that movie has aged well for you as a fan? Or, or, or does it kind of like, uh, I don't really want to go near that one? Um, I think American Beauty is a good, is a good movie. I think that it's unfortunate because of Spacey's allegations that the stigma is now floating over that movie forever, considering it's a movie about Kevin Spacey lusting after a teenager. Uh, yeah, I don't think the film deserves the flack. I think Kevin Spacey deserves the flack. The film didn't do anything wrong. I think Sam Mendes still deserves that Oscar for Best Director. And I still think the, the movie's good. Um, it wouldn't have been my choice for Best Picture, but, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I, I actually, like, 
I, it's hard to say this, but I, I kind of love the movie uh, American Beauty um, for, yeah, like you said, Sam Mendes doing really good stuff. And that bending is incredible in it. Um, and, and Kevin Spacey is doing some incredible stuff acting wise as well. It's just frustrating. Like you said, what we know about him now, uh, that, that year though, you know, it kind of dominated, had the most nominations, most wins, and of course got the big win. So when you think of, you know, 1999 and Oscars, that's what you go to. But, but when you're kind of just a film fan and a film buff and you eat this stuff up, you know, and you think of 1999, you think Matrix, you know, you think Fight Club, you know, you think like you point out Office Space. Uh, so many cultural, you know, icon kind of movies that came out in 1999, making it one of, you know, one of the more memorable years, I'd say. And yeah. a lot of guys, a lot of guys doing things that are so different, like David Fincher making Fight Club and kind of pushing us into the new century of film uh what paul thomas anderson is doing in magnolia with all the, the hard cuts and all the ma major edits in it and the the camera work and same thing again with david fincher what these guys are doing is you know completely changing the game and have you know they've continued to kind of level up as creators as directors and and writers uh, as time has gone on. And so we've kind of gotten to witness that you and I, and, and people our age have kind of, you know, we've grown up going to these movies and theaters, uh, David Fincher, you know, I fondly remember, you know, seeing social network in theaters and girl to dragon tattoo and gone girl, you know, like, man, this guy is just, just a genius, you know, so likewise with, you know, again, Paul Thomas Anderson, you know, I think, uh, 1999 isn't a year that, um, a Tarantino Tarantino movie came out, but you certainly think of Tarantino when you think of nineties and there's so many auteurs coming out and just showing everything they got. And I love this time. I love the late nineties, early two thousands because guys are just fucking going after it. What, what, what do you remember most about this year? Um, this year I, I remember the, um, I like that M night Shyamalan came out of this year with the sixth, sixth sense. sense. Yes. Another yes. horror film that was recognized by the Oscars. It's rare, but when it does happen, I celebrate. Yeah. Man. Um, I think Pixar had a great year with toy story two. I, uh, I think of one of my all time favorites, mystery men, <laughs> which we just oh did. Gosh. Orgasm. So I, I think 99 is a solid one, like one of the best years for film ever. Just so yeah, many man. different flavors for everybody really. Yeah, exactly. There's actually a book. I can't remember his name. I'm going to look it up right now. Uh, he wrote a book about 1999 it being the best, best movie year ever. Yeah, I remember you telling me about that book. Yeah, yeah. And I, I read a lot of it. I went to Barnes & Noble one day and read a lot of it. I never bought it, though. Uh, yeah, it's just called Best Movie Year Ever, How 1999 Blew Up the Big Screen. And it was written by... I cannot... Brian Raftery. Uh, yeah. yeah. You know, and this is, this is a guy, yeah, who's just a film critic and wanted to write this book. And so it clearly has this huge impact. You know, the green mile is another movie, talented Mr. Ripley, uh, the ninth gate. These are just movies I see on the internet here <laughs> for 1999. <laughs> and, and it's amazing. The bone collector, you point out mystery men already. Um, it, it's crazy, man. Cause you can go to the highbrow stuff. You can go to the random, you know, horror stuff. You can go to these, kind of like superhero type movies. It's just such an interesting time right before we go into the new century. I am giant eyes wide shut. Oh, <laughs> it's crazy. Eyes wide shut. Eyes wide shut. Stanley Kubrick's last film. Come on. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic year. 
And Fight Club is just, you know, one of the tent poles of that year. A great way to close out the 90s. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it has it had a budget of like 60 million and made 100 and then obviously through DVD sales and people having posters and TV, you know, a t-shirts, it's just this, you know, cultural phenomenon uh for over 20 years now. It's it's really amazing. Do you ever play the video game? No, but I've heard it's pretty bad, right? It's it's a fighting game, basically. They ignored all the uh subtext and just focused on the fights and it's ridiculous <laughs> yikes that's bad yeah there's unlockable characters like you could uh abraham lincoln you can play as you can play as abraham lincoln things like Unbelievable. that it's, it is ridiculous <laughs> god damn yeah I, I i i wish that stuff like that wouldn't get made just because i don't want any part of you know the merchandise to be tainted <laughs> uh, dude, straight like video games based on movies always suck yeah yeah and, and, and yes yeah, so i was about to say typically movies <laughs> that are based on video games usually suck i don't know what it what it is with that like that circle but it's just it's tainted <laughs> terrible but yeah, yeah we like to talk we like to talk movies here and uh, I, I would like to bring up david fincher again um i'm gonna go through his you know his filmography here Alien 3, I think we can skip. Uh, <laughs> seven. Seven, you said, is your favorite David Fincher film. Wh- yes. Why? It's atmospheric, and it's a horror movie that yeah, doesn't yeah. act like a horror movie. It, it's straight up a horror movie, but it's not... Like, you don't know it's a horror movie until you're already trapped. And I love that. That's a it's great It's such way a brilliant it. concept, and it's so... like Morgan Freeman, Brad Pitt, Kevin Spacey are all fucking amazing. And... It's so creepy, and it's there's no winner. Like the end of the movie's like, fuck. <laughs> it's bleak yeah, and it's brilliant. Incredible stuff. Yeah, I mean that's that's 1995. That's from our year, right? That's when we were born, <laughs> and it is a frightening movie in itself. And I love that you said that it kind of reels you in. So you have all these amazing actors, and so people are like, oh, I'll go see this film seven. And then yeah, it as you get sunken in, you're like, oh my god, this is a straight textbook horror film what are we doing <laughs> and it, very yeah. little but it's all about like the aftermath and people describing what happened and what they went through and the visuals that come into your head are sickening and it's just so smart oh yeah i could Grizzly. say great things about seven agreed and it's such a um you know you see that that's from 1995 and you're like, Oh, okay. That makes sense that this is the guy who's in front of Mindhunter and uh, you know, doing Zodiac. Okay. Yeah. 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 You know, it, he, you know, this guy can play ball, you know, he can really take these wild different kinds of stories, all kinds of range and, and make them so damn intriguing. Um, yeah. I love seven, man. That, that would, that would bring us to the game. What do you think about the game? I think the game is brilliant as well. I think it's, I love Michael Douglas and I love the idea of everyone is out to get you and who is in on the joke. Like, how do you know who's safe? It's, it fucks you up the game. It really makes you kind of evaluate your own life and like, yes, you know, who knows something I don't. It's really creepy. The game. Yeah, man, I, I had a, a, a good buddy text me recently and he told me I'm watching the game for the first time and it's really fucking me up. 
And that's exactly how I feel about the game. It's, uh, you know, I look right here to my right, you know, at my shelf. It's one of the, it's one of the, you know, I don't have a huge Blu-ray collection, uh, you know, 20 to 30. And that's one of them. You know, I really, really like that film. Um, I'm going to say that a lot about David Fincher because I like them all. <laughs> it's weird because the game doesn't really come up a lot in when people discuss his greatest work, but I think it should. Yeah. I'm open to anyone saying any of them are their favorites. Like I, I wrote a top five and I didn't even have seven in my top five, but I love seven and I would give it a nine and I would, you know, praise it. And I think one day we're going to catch that on filmgasm and it's going to be an incredible episode. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he, he's, yeah, he's just awesome. So that would bring us to fight club. We'll skip that. Cause we're going to be talking about that for the next hour or so. So that would bring us to uh, panic room. Have you seen panic room? I have not seen panic room. Okay. I, I think you're going to like that one a lot as well. Um, I'll save my thoughts until you get to see that one. Okay. Zodiac. You know, like you guys, if you've been following us for a while, you know we love Zodiac. <laughs> I I find Zodiac to be maybe not Fincher's best movie, but it's my favorite. Maybe not his best, but I think it's the most impressive like feat of work. Where if you if if you if you really dig this stuff. And I know, you know, Connor, you and I are alike in this way. We definitely like Fincher's style. Yes. And we, we both enjoyed some of House of Cards and Mindhunter. And, you know, his imprint on, his imprint on Netflix is so important. I, I just, you know, Zodiac is this three-hour epic tale that spans over, you know, multiple decades, <laughs> but feels so tight. I don't know how. I still haven't figured it out. That's why I rewatch it over and over. How did he figure out to make this kind of episodic film out of this really, really dark, 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 dark story that I'm just, I just want to dive into over and over. So Zodiac and, and the music, you know, the soundtrack and the acting, the creepiness of it. Yeah, I just think it's his most impressive movie altogether. But I think, you know, you can make an argument for Fight Club being his best film or Social Network or Seven, you know, I, I, I see an argument for all of them. Well, I think that what makes Zodiac so impressive is that in, like, it's based on a true story with no resolution. It's based on a story yes. that in many ways we're still trying to solve. But Fincher took such a smart direction with it where he kind of lets you make up your own decision over what happened to the Zodiac killer. And I mean, we all know who did it at this point, but it's, um, it Don't really plays, yeah, it really plays with the, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, I just, yeah, I think Zodiac is, uh, one of the smartest true crime movies ever made, and, uh, yeah, yeah, that's for sure, yeah, yeah, I could watch it all day, it's one of the movies that, uh, I just like to say is for me, personally, a sign of a great movie is a film that can be three hours long and not feel like it at all, and Zodiac yeah. is one of those. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I, I can't say that about every like three-hour movie I love, but Zodiac certainly, the way it moves, and because of how good you know, uh, Robert Downey is as Paul Avery and uh, Jake Gyllenhaal as Robert Graysmith, like it, it's just so easy to watch because these guys, the charisma is you know it's fucking lights out. Uh, Mark Ruffalo, oh man. <laughs> John Carroll Lynch, like, for God's sake. I mean, wow. Oh, yeah. John, John Carroll Lynch is the heat check, the guy who comes in and gives you that, like, whoa, 
this movie got turned up. This movie got turned upside down. He gives it that kind of that whore gritty element to it for sure. Because yeah, you, you definitely believe that it's him by the end of the movie <laughs> uh, with Baker street playing in the back. So good. Um, curious case of Benjamin button, 2008. Didn't see that one either. Y- you'll, you'll like that one. Talk about Brad Pitt doing some work. Uh, I'll save my thoughts again, because I'm sure that will come up on Oscar Sunday at some point. Um, the social network. I had the pleasure of rewatching that recently and uh, yeah, phenomenal movie. Yeah, I stellar, stellar. Yeah, if, again, if you've heard me or us at all talk about this movie, it's it's definitely one of my favorites of like the the decade. I had it. I think I had it number six on our decade countdown over on Filmgasm. So yeah, this movie's this this movie's pretty pretty epic, and I think it ages really really fucking well because of how weird and how strange Facebook is. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, Social Network. Definitely a movie that people should rewatch if you haven't for a while because it has this whole new impact. Uh, I'm glad you got, to re- you got to see it recently and uh, I know you got a review up for it. So, yeah, very fun movie. How about the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo? Didn't get to see that one. I, I like that one. You know, this one's tough because you want to see the follow-up because the story, this epic story, you know, you want to see the movie two and three and see Fincher and Rooney Mara go after it. Cause the Swedish films they did, you know, all three movies and they're, they're amazing. You know, the Stig Larsson books, uh, you know, girl, the dragon tattoo girl, uh, who played with fire and girl kicked the hornet's nest. All three of those Swedish films are awesome. And they're really like part of why I started watching foreign film. I saw them when I was like 15 and that was huge. You know, reading the subtitles and watch this movie, this Swedish movie, those, that was a big deal. And, and Fincher making it kind of his own. Oh, man. Um, but one thing I'll point out about this is why I knew in theaters that when I saw The Girl Track Tattoo in theaters, I knew that Fincher was not going to continue is because the first time you see Rooney Mara, you see Elizabeth Slander, uh, Rooney Mara's character, she's walking and she has this huge mohawk, right? And that's not that never happens in the first two films, the Swedish films. She only gets the Mohawk in the third film. Cause she has this epic scene where she goes to court and she's like, I'm going to fucking, you know, blow my Mohawk out and it's going to be crazy. And that's when I knew he's bunching these movies kind of in together. Cause he knows he's only going to make one. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I knew that prior to, you know, the movie even ending, but I do love it. I rewatch it a lot. Um, a lot of really cool performances. Daniel Craig, isn't even trying to do an accent, but it's okay. Cause it's Daniel Craig. <laughs> uh, yeah. He's awesome. And he's in the middle of his bond run, you know, uh, 2000, 2011. So that's really cool. Uh, have you seen gone girl? Gone girl fucked me up. <laughs> that movie is so disturbing. <laughs> yeah, man. Gone girl is awesome. Another movie that deserves uh, like rewatch and reevaluation for people who haven't seen it in a while. Uh, I, when we talked about 2014, I just, I thought it was insane how it got just completely neglected in certain areas uh, by the Oscars that year. Gone Girl is technically so strong and it's David Fincher really flexing his muscles uh, with some simple stuff from the way, you know, Ben Affleck, you know, fucking slides the whiskey glass across the table and David Fincher captures every fucking movement of that. Uh, You know, yeah. Gone Girl is epic. It's a movie that 
what like, I, I had never read the book when I when I went and saw it. I didn't know anything about the oh, story. I just thought it looked the, cool. Yeah. And I love how the movie is nothing like what you expect. If you if you're going in blind, it's a completely different like it's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It morphs into something ugly. And it's so cool to see that transformation. I mean, Rosamund Pike, it, she's the only one who got a uh, nomination from that film, but it was well yes. deserved. She was unreal. Just like a great villain. And uh, yeah, I'd love to, it's been a while since I saw Gone Girl. I'd like to revisit that. It's, um, Gone Girl is another one. You know, uh, if you listen to our Whiplash episode, you'll know 2014 is a big year for, for both of us. It's a big year for Filmgasm, the website in general. But I saw Gone Girl in theaters. Then I went and got the book, read the book. Then I took a couple friends to go see it in theaters again. And I was just, it's a film I just kind of got locked in on. And it just solidified my like adoration for David Fincher at the time. And I remember buying the DVD and watching the commentary. And that was one of the first times I ever did that. Where I was like, I'm going to buy the movie and watch. I'm, I want to hear what David Fincher has to say about what was happening in this movie. And so it just holds a special place, man. And like you said, Rosamund Pike, well, well, well deserved. She's one of the best villains of the past decade, man. Like that, that scene with Neil Patrick Harris is just, and if you're listening and you know what we're talking about, it is in just engraved in your mind. One of the most gruesome scenes filmed so well, edited so well. Uh, Love it. Yeah. Gone Girl is incredible. That would bring us to, uh, you know, we could talk about Mindhunter or we can talk about, Mank, which is supposed to come out sometime in 2020. Uh, David Fincher, man, just always doing cool shit. For sure. David Fincher's the man. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to see what he does with Mank. Just the story of the guy who wrote Citizen Kane. I mean, come on. <laughs> Dude. Yeah. I mean, Gary Citizen Oldman? Kane. Jesus. Citizen Kane, great film. David Fincher, great director. You know, yeah, all these things that you're just kind of throwing into a film. I'm in. And I loved Mindhunter. I, just two fantastic seasons of television, and I, I really don't like that we're ne- probably never getting a third season. It was phenomenal. Yeah, man. I mean, and Fincher's awesome a big stuff. part of making Netflix a powerhouse in the film industry. He helped bring House of Cards to their platform as like their first major series, and it just grew from there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Right. Thank you, David Fincher. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I beyond grateful. You know, he's got to be one of my top five to 10 favorite, you know, directors. Um, anything he does. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm there. You, you know, he's one of those guys I'm going to see in theaters. I, I, ever since social network, I've seen, I've seen those other movies in theaters and uh, I just, yeah, I feel a certain way. He's, he's, he has that same thing that, you know, again, I'll bring up Tarantino has that same kind of boom has that pull. Like I'm there, I'm in the seat. I'm in good hands. Let's do this. <laughs> For sure. He's an, I can't believe he's never won an Oscar. I, I, like the director like David Fincher, who's done surprisingly little work over the past like 20 years. He's only done a handful of movies, but everything he's done has been solid fucking gold. He is so good at crafting a narrative and just making you uncomfortable, but intrigued. He's so good at that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the stories just, if you just, take away the films themselves if you just look at the stories he's picking to put on the screen you're like man this guy's interesting <laughs> you know you know he, he he wants to tell the story of 
you know, these, these college guys who started, you know, this Facebook thing and kind of had this weird war uh, and ended up being this, you know, multi-billion dollar thing. Uh, tell the story of, like you said, the Zodiac killer. Come on, you know, on paper, all these things are, he's, he's just like, fuck yeah, I want to tell that story. Let's put it on the big screen. Uh, and I, yeah, I adore people who have that power, right? Who have that weight, who can say, hey, I want to make a movie that costs around 50 million to 100 million and do my own thing. And it's so cool to see a guy do that and fucking follow through over and over. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, Fight Club, I think, stands out in his filmography, which is really saying something. But it stands out as a film that almost defines a decade. Just kind of makes you think, like, what matters to me? Who am I? And I love that this film kind of brings out those thoughts. I mean, sure, you should never act on those impulses, as we see in the movie. doesn't end well. But definitely, you know, confront those feelings. Think about, you know, who am I as a person? What defines me? What's important to me? What is my purpose? And, yeah, I'm, I've been thinking about that all day. <laughs> Incredible. I love that. I, that was really cool. I love that. That's, that's kind of something that you've been kind of chewing on today uh after you know watching the film or in thinking about film and then knowing that we're coming here to talk today there was a million things that flew through my head today because i knew fight club was you know on the docket and i knew 1999 was on the docket and david fincher and all these really really huge tentpole things for us as fans and i was like i don't really know what all we're gonna say but but i know i have a lot to say i i know there's a lot there i know that these films have really affected me and that's enough. Right. Uh, I think that resonates with people. I think we're, we're not alone. Like, I, I mean, I can speak for my, my two older brothers. Some of these films are some of their favorite films ever from 1999. You brought up office space. I mean, we quote that, we quote that still for, for years, you know, it's just very special stuff. And I, you know, I want to talk a little bit about the actual Oscars from 1999. Uh, of course the show happened in 2000. Billy Crystal uh, hosted, who hosted like eight times or something. <laughs> One of the mainstays. <laughs> fucking, fucking ridiculous. Yeah, he's, you know, he's, you know, Billy Crystal. He's the man, you know. A good old Clippers fan. Shout out to the Clippers. They won tonight to go up 2-1 in the playoffs. But we're going to start out with uh, best sound effects editing because that's the only one that the Matrix is up for against Fight, uh, or sorry, Fight Club, against the Matrix and against Star Wars. The Matrix won. Um, that's fine with me. The Matrix is incredible, right? We covered that one on Filmgasm. Uh, Star Wars Episode One is the one I'm interested to talk about here for a second because okay. I'm not a huge fan of Phantom Menace, but I want to hear what you think about it. Okay, so yeah, no, no, go ahead. Yeah. I grew up with the Star Wars prequels. Uh, I saw all three of them at the theater with my with my mom and dad, which was very special because you know as my parents weren't together when I was a kid, so they came together to celebrate Star Wars for me which was amazing. And I have such great memories of Star Wars with my parents, especially Phantom Menace, because that one was my favorite when I was a kid. Not because of Jar Jar Binks, fuck that guy, but because of Darth Maul. (laughs) I couldn't get enough of that double-bladed lightsaber. That was my shit. I was big into Star Wars when I was a kid. And I still love Star Wars now, but that love's been a little tainted over the past couple of years. Um. But I do think The Matrix deserved this one. I think that the Wachowskis did wonders with special effects with The Matrix. They changed the game. We talked about that on, a, on Filmgasm. 
And uh, yeah, I say give it to the Matrix. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree with that. I, I have no qualms with that at all. Um, Phantom Menace. I love that you pointed out Darth Maul. I mean, this is a a character just just the image of Darth Maul as a child, and the action figures and all that stuff. And I remember uh, it being really popular to dress up and like paint your face as him for Halloween. You know, like older yeah. guys were doing that. You know, I was obviously way too young, but I remember that and that impact is huge. And, and I definitely think, you know, I, I've heard a lot of fans and you, you are in that group that uh, uh, Star Wars fans who were like, uh, give us more of that. Uh, <laughs> what, what's going on here? That guy is fucking awesome, you know, and, yeah. and he's great. And there's definitely some cool combat scenes there uh, in Phantom Menace. But uh, yeah, I, I'm just not, yeah, I'm not, I can't speak too much about Star Wars just off of not seeing them a lot and not being a huge fan growing up. So, you know what I mean? That's just not really my bag. Fair enough. Star Wars was, you know, heavily star Wars and Harry Potter. Like just, I drowned in that shit when I was a kid. Like that was my, that was all I cared about. So, you know, if I'm obviously now, you know, I know a lot about all that stuff because it's been a major part of my life. And uh, I still watch the star Wars prequels. I mean, I know they get a lot of shit and a lot of that's deserved, but I, there's a lot about those films I enjoy. And, uh, yeah, that's just just what I like. Yeah, no, I, I, you, you know, you're not alone. Oh yeah, I don't know if you know this, but Star Wars is a pretty big deal. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a pretty pretty solid fan base there for Star Wars. Yeah, one day on one of these shows, we're gonna get to Star Wars. We're gonna talk about it, and uh, that'll be fun. Who knows when yeah. that'll happen? But yeah, I'm excited to finally do an episode on Star Wars in some capacity. Yeah, and it's so hard to know, you know, when you're going into Star Wars, you know, should I watch them all? Should I start at a certain point? Or should I just like, nah, just keep it at one? <laughs> I think like since we're going just a movie at a time on both of these podcasts, keep it keep it simple. Yes, yeah, keep it chill. Keep it yeah. chill. Now, now, Fight Club. What's the first thing that, it sh- that, that pops out? Like, what the fuck? Why was this not up? Or why was he not up? Or she not up? Two Best Actor nominations for Brad Pitt and Edward Norton. That should have been the first thing that this film was up Okay. For. Okay. I'm with you. Now, who are we taking out? We have Kevin Spacey, who won for American Beauty. We have Russell Crowe for The Insider. We have Richard Farnsworth for The Straight Story. We have Sean Penn for Sweet and Lowdown. And Denzel Washington for The Hurricane. What two guys are we taking out? Regrettably, I, I have not seen four of those movies. <laughs> oh. But all right, off my instinct, I'm taking out uh, Sean Penn for Sweet and Low Down, and I'm taking out Kevin Spacey. Oh, oh that's tough. And I'm uh, giving the Oscar to Brad Pitt. Okay, this is this is gonna, yeah, same. This is gonna sound really weird, probably, to some fans. Um, I would take Richard Farnsworth out, and I would take this. This is where it's gonna get weird. I would take Denzel Washington out. The Hurricane. I own it. I own the, I love the book, you know, Ruben, the hurricane Carter, classic character. Uh, I just, for Denzel Washington standards, <laughs> I don't think he's totally pushing the envelope in that movie. Some of it, some of it's the writing. Some of the writing is a little, little, sometimes cheese. There's some cheese there, but I think, I think Russell Crowe has to stay. I think Sean Penn has to stay. And I think Kevin Spacey has to stay. And you're throwing in Norton 
and then the win for Brad Pitt. Yeah, I, I think Brad Pitt. I mean, there's movies of his that I adore more than Fight Club, like Inglorious Bastards, for instance. But I think Brad Pitt gave his like the performance of his career as Tyler Durden, and it should have been recognized. Unbelievable. Yeah. I've always said that Brad Pitt is a character actor trapped in the body of a leading man. And this is, yeah, and this is a perfect it. definition of that, man. And then Edward Norton, yeah. like just them two together is a, well, hurricane of incredible <laughs> performances. And they just play off each other so well. And they just create this atmosphere that is so guy, you know, just beating the yeah. shit out of one another, but with a purpose. Yeah. yeah, they couldn't have cast this film better. Yeah, and I, I'm going to take it even further and take Kevin Spacey out and put Matt Damon in for the talented Mr. Ripley. Yes, yes, yes. Well said. Well said. How about, how about your boy Tom Hanks for The Green Mile? What do you think about that? I can't believe him and Sam Rockwell were not up for The Green Mile. I mean, Mike yeah. Clark Duncan is unreal. I'm very happy he was up. But, yeah, everyone else in that film was – great too the green mile yeah. I, didn't, I don't think it's enough credit i would have given best picture to be, to the green mile that year i love that Oof. that's that's an interesting conversation do we just want to have that conversation now might as well um <laughs> so fuck it so 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 yeah the, the the nominees are you know the sixth sense the insider the green mile the cider house rules and american beauty are you saying within that five green mile should win are you saying no 1999 definite green mile Oh, oh, that's, um, <laughs> I think that of that five, I would give it to the green mile. Yeah. I can't um, really, I can't really argue with that. You know, I, yeah, of that five, I might say the same. I, I do like the insider a lot. Um, but then again, I have not seen, uh, the cider house rules or the insider. So yeah, you, I, you you would you would really like the insider. Um, Sandhurst Rules is really good too. You know that's uh, that's Michael Caine is really doing some great stuff, and he won for best supporting actor in a, a really interesting group there. Yeah. Good lord, that should have gone to Tom Cruise, I think. Oh my god! Well, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> best picture. I think of that group, I agree with you. But I, I, I mean, Fight Club should be in that. It should be in there. I mean, it should be in there. Yes. I'm not sure over what. Maybe I would take. Hmm, maybe I would take American Beauty out. I do really like it, but I don't know. Oh, this is really hard. This is really hard because American Beauty Tom, is really good, but it's not a Best Picture winner. I don't. Think. Yeah, yeah, I th- yeah. I think it's really good, but yeah, I agree with you. I, I like love some parts of it, but I also don't think yeah, it's a Best Picture type movie. Uh, Talented Mr. Ripley, man, that movie's awesome. The the acting is incredible, and in that just the amount of kind of like old school thriller, uh, you know, vibes that are going on there. It's just awesome. This is just cause it's like so out there, but I would, I would love a best picture nomination for being John Malkovich. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, being John Malkovich fight club, the matrix Magnolia. <laughs> <laughs> it's a loaded yeah, year. Yeah. It's a loaded year. Yeah. And we're forgetting some, I'm sure, you know, when I, when I look back, I'm gonna be like, Oh, what about this movie? You know, <laughs> it's just, yeah. Like you said, it's loaded. But yeah. The best supporting actor goes to Michael Caine. And you have Haley Joe Osmond, um, Jude Law, Michael Clark Duncan, rest in peace, and Tom Cruise. Okay, Tom Cruise and Magnolia is when I first watched watched Magnolia. That's what I first got attached to was was Frank T J Mackey. 
was that character and I was like, whoa, whoa is that is that Tom Cruise? Because I, when I first saw this movie, I was unfamiliar with his kind of like wild side. You know, I knew him as Mr. Mission Impossible and, you know, action movies, you know, Edge of Tomorrow, stuff like that, more of the latter parts of his career. But man, you look at just 1999 alone, he's in Magnolia and Stanley Kubrick's Eyes Wide Shut. What on earth? You know, what's going on in this guy's mind? And, you know, I love his 80s run. You know, I'm a big risky business fan. You know, he's just on a different planet sometimes. <laughs> and, and, you know, obviously off the screen, he's on a different planet. But in Magnolia, <laughs> in Magnolia, what he's doing, you know, and Philip Seymour Hoffman is just kind of reacting, you know, to him. Uh, I think I said this at one point on Filmgasm, but shared this mm-hmm. story, but Philip Seymour Hoffman's reactions are totally raw and authentic. Like he had no idea that this was really being shot or what exactly was happening. He was just watching Tom Cruise just fucking go in because Paul Thomas Anderson had challenged him with his own, you know, relationship with his father in real life, Tom Cruise. And was like, use that man. You know, of course, Paul Thomas Anderson is at this point on all kinds of cocaine and doing crazy stuff, you know, and editing every single piece of, <laughs> of, of material he had. And uh, yeah, it just, it got the best out of him. You know, that movie got the best out of him. It's my favorite Tom Cruise role. And it like, just like shatters me by the end of that movie. I'm shattered by most of the characters, but really by, by Frank TJ Mackey. Yeah, Cause Tom Cruise plays him as like a vulnerable soul who's just extroverted to hell so he can avoid confronting his real problems. And Tom Cruise really sells that so well. It's the scenes where he's talking to the reporter and just stonewalls her. Like there, there's so much in that character that you don't see, but you understand. I I love it. Okay. What a great, what a great point. So there, yeah, Magnolia is clearly, you know, it's clearly a special film to me and there's, there's thoughts that, that I've had about it, but I, I sometimes are, I'm not able to articulate, but that is it, right? You know, you, there's things you're not seeing with each of these characters because the way the camera is bouncing around all over the place to, to Julianne Moore, to Philip Seymour Hoffman, to John C. Riley, to William H. Macy and, and, you know, and to Tom Cruise. And he's, you know, doing that, that interview and he's, you know, taking his shirt off and he's like, what, you're not recording. Like I'm giving you some gold right now. Like, come on, babe. Like, Oh, I just gotta, you know, I just got to, you know, go sniffing around <laughs> and he's just like, what is happening? But you see right through it right away. And even when they move to these other characters in the back of your mind, you're like, Frank T.J. Mackey is breaking down. Like he's breaking down right now off screen. I guarantee it. And it's, it, it, yeah, uh, epic. That movie is fucking epic, man. I can't wait to do it one day um, on this show. Um, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson is definitely my favorite director of all time. So it's, yeah, it's super special. I, I love that you point out that he should have won. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Tom Cruise. Yeah, for sure. Um, but then again, you know, I haven't seen the cider house rules, so I can't judge it. That's the only one of that bunch I haven't seen. So I don't know if Michael Caine deserved it. You'll like it. You'll like it. You'll like it a lot. I don't know if you'll, yeah, I, I think you'll still stick with Tom Cruise, but Michael Caine is very good. Just like he always is. Right. Uh, that's that, that might also be the thing is like Tom Cruise is going all over beyond, you know, what we're used to. And, Michael Caine has just been fucking amazing for, <laughs> for 60 years. Helena <laughs> uh, uh, Bonham Carter should have been up for Best Supporting Actress. I agree, yes. I, I think maybe, uh, I like Boys Don't Cry a lot. I like Chloe Savini in that. Um, Angelina Jolie is awesome. Tony Collette is awesome. Catherine Keener. 
But um, Samantha Morton, you know, I've seen Sweet and Lowdown once, and I really like Sean Penn's performance, but that's the one I would take out for Helena. Okay. Yeah, I, oh, I hate going into these things without prior experience. I haven't seen Girl Interrupted or Sweet and Lowdown or Boys Don't Cry. So, okay, well, that's really, that's really interesting because I, I, like a year ago or two, I wouldn't have seen Boys Don't Cry or Girl Interrupted, but I'll explain. Since I, you know, have, you know, had my own daughter uh, now for a little over a year and a half. Willow is, you know, the like light of my life. And I definitely have watched more things that are, um, have like female representation or, um, or, or, or stories that are revolving, like Girl Interrupted is revolving, you know, Winona Ryder and Angelina Jolie, these really, um, these girls that are mentally ill, you know, and, are battling through these things where they feel like people aren't listening to them or they're neglected, you know, um, Chloe Savini and boys don't cry. Uh, my God, you know, Hillary Swank and her are doing just some fucking crazy cool stuff. And I wouldn't have watched that movie if I wasn't dating the girl I'm dating and uh, having the daughter and kind of being influenced to watch those kinds of things. Uh, and I really have to give credit to, you know, like being broken down, like part of like my, like, Oh, I need to see these things now. Right. Like as my daughter grows up, I want to have movies are my way to learn. So I want to have, you know, the best, um, you know, idea for all these different ways, you know, females can, can be, and, you know, want to be heard and, you know, their dreams listened to, you know, that kind of thing. And so watching these female performances, I mean, Tony Clinton, Catherine Keener, you've heard me. I've, these are two of my favorite performers of all time. So this group is really special, man. I, I have girl interrupted. I'll let you borrow that, man. I, I really like it. Angelina Jolie is fucking wild. She's crazy in that. It's awesome. Uh, and Chloe, yeah, Chloe Savini, you know, you, you, I love kids, you know, um, a real, real tough movie, from 1995. And Chloe Savini is just this awesome actress. who has been in these very strange roles. Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, I'd say that's kind of why I've, kind of went out of my way a little bit is, you know, I, I really have to give credit to my one and a half year old daughter. <laughs> that's beautiful, man. I'm, I'm happy for you. Really. That's fantastic. Well, it's, 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 you've seen, I just sent you a Lilo and Stitch review. So like, yeah. that's, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm watching, you know, cartoons more and stuff with Willow. And then, you know, in my own time, I'm trying to branch out more, I guess, and do those kinds of things. That's great. I love that. I love the variety and I love that you're, like actively aware of that. That's fantastic. Well, yeah, man, you, you know, you know, if I'm going to watch all these movies, might as well broaden the horizons a bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, dude. Since we started these shows, I've seen shit. I never would have picked up. Like it is crazy. I love it. I love the incredible variety of cinematic opportunity out there. It's wonderful. Yeah, man. Beautiful. Like, the, you know, the ocean just gets deeper. <laughs> oh. And speaking of best adapted screenplay, <laughs> my God, how was Fight Club not up for this? Jesus, it's adopted uh, uh, adopted from the novel by uh, Chuck Palahniuk. Palahniuk, how do you say his name? I'm not I'm not quite sure, but I have read the book. It's very good. Was it close? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I don't. That's such a classic book, right? <laughs> and and you don't want to. Uh, deter people from reading it uh there's 
yeah, there's major similarities. There's definitely some differences, right? You know, there's, there's some things that David Fincher, just like with, you know, Gone Girl or whatever it may be, some key differences that he, he decides to make because they're probably better for the screen. But did he capture, like, the essence of the story? Like, did he really yes. nail it down? Then fantastic. I say yeah, get yeah. election the fuck out of there and put in Fight Club. Yeah. You said the word essence? 100%. Essence. Yeah. Atmosphere. Vibe. Yes. Have you ever read the, the uh, graphic novel sequel he wrote a few years ago? Fight Club no, 2? I, no, I haven't. I don't know why. I just, ah, oh, man. You know, reading is something that a, a lot of us should do more, and I just don't do enough of myself. We've got got a full bookshelf i just don't pick them up enough and don't spend enough time you know watching a lot of movies and you know hanging out with willow hanging out with willow and watching movies you know what i mean <laughs> i well it's probably for the best i heard it was not very good yeah but i still want it you know i still want that <laughs> like I, I want that knowledge of like maybe there's some maybe there's some cool stuff in there you never know yeah you never know uh so best adapted screenplay was uh was taken by the Cider House Rules by uh, John Irving. It was up against Election by Alexander Payne and Jim Taylor. The Green Mile by Frank Darabont. The Insider by Eric Roth and Michael Mann. And The Talented Mr. Ripley by Anthony Minghella. And uh, yeah, I, don't, I did not like Election. I don't get the, the acclaim behind that movie. I just don't. So I, I'm taking that yeah. one out of my club. Yeah, you're not going to get any arguments here. I'm... Totally in agreement that you that you take election out and put fight. Club I'm out. not a very big Matthew Broderick fan. I'm not a very big Reese Witherspoon fan, so I was not really into that one. Huh? I don't think I'm a big Matthew Broderick or Reese Witherspoon fan either, but I don't think I'm not a fan. I don't know. <laughs> I'm neutral. <laughs> I just thought it was kind of bland. I thought the story was a little weak, and I just didn't. I didn't really enjoy it that much. I didn't. I don't really understand the kind of cult following of election yeah i think for a lot of people it reminds them of a time it's nostalgic and uh it's very 1999 yeah, fair enough i wasn't in you know, high school yeah, in 1999 so i don't yeah yeah you know. like 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 uh like in the way american pie feels very 1999 there's another one american pie yeah oh, oh, it, oh uh, i i believe toy story 2 came out in 1999 as well yeah it is a jam jam-packed year Tarzan. Yeah, 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 Tarzan. I was gonna say, what's the like major Disney one? Yeah, South Park movie. <laughs> Fuck. Yikes. Yeah, I remember when uh, they were up against. Um, so uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone were up against Phil Collins for best original song for their track "Blame Canada" in the South Park movie. Yep. Phil Collins beat them for "You'll Be in My Heart" from Tarzan, and when asked about it, they said. It doesn't like it's okay that we lost, but it's not okay that we lost to fucking Phil Collins. <laughs> oh God, Genesis, really? <laughs> so then later on, they they animated Phil Collins in a South Park episode, and he is always holding an Oscar. <laughs> That's wonderful. Oh boy, yeah, I just had to tell that story. I fucking love that story. <laughs> awesome. Uh, one more uh, Oscar, I think that. Fight Club should have been up for is um, film editing. I yeah, no that. kidding. Jesus <laughs> Christ, come on. Yeah, well, yeah, The Matrix uh, won, and it's awesome. But again, come on. <laughs> Was up against American Beauty, The Cider House Rules, The Insider, and The Sixth Sense. And Fight Club is all about how this story is told. It's like the whole, you know, the way this film is edited really determines its success. 
because you have to put yourself in Edward Norton's mindset and not realize that, spoiler, he is Tyler Durden. And the film does such a brilliant job of lulling you into the false sense of security and never even making you think that they're the same person. And all of that is how this story is told. Yeah, I think yes. this should have won film editing. Yeah, yeah, no problem with that, man. And I think also another win it should have gotten and didn't even get a nomination is Jeff Cronenweth for cinematography. Yes. Again, going along the same lines, echoing what you're just saying, the, the, the feeling of this movie when you're in it and it's on your screen and you're like, Oh yeah. Fight club's awesome. That's, that's what it is. It's you're in those guys' hands. You're with David Fincher. You're with Jeff. These guys know what they're doing. You know, they've worked together for ages and they know what they're doing. It's just mind boggling how time goes by. And we're like, man, they missed that by a fucking mile. And I just want to point out how cool is it that sleepy hollow was up for best cinematography. Yeah, no, I wouldn't take that one out. I wouldn't take that one out. I love that. That's one of my favorite uh, Burton films, and I, I, I love that it got a nod. That's so cool. Well, look at, look at uh, Best Makeup. We got Life, Bicentennial Man, and Austin Powers. <laughs> and then the winner, Topsy Turvy. Yeah. yeah. I love the technical awards because it's always the most random selection of films. <laughs> to like, well, yeah, now like Austin Powers could be on this show. Yeah, it could. It was up for best makeup. <laughs> and we're going to remember that. <laughs> oh, I'm going to remember that. Yeah, I do. There's a film from this year that I, I'm, I've been dying to see. Um, I just watched from 1990, Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down. And that's uh, directed by Pedro Almodovar. I'm not sure how to say it. Almodovar. Almodovar. Yeah, there we go. And he directed All About My Mother in 1999. Apparently it's amazing. That's a film I really want to see, and it won it won best foreign language film. Uh, is oh. there anything that is there anything from '99 that you want to see really bad? I really want to see The Insider. Honestly, that's at the top of my list. Yeah, dude, Michael Mann. Oh yeah, you're gonna like that one. <laughs> that and then probably um, probably Boys Don't Cry. I've heard I've I've had many people tell me I need to see that one. That's an interesting one, and I definitely when you do see it, we'll definitely try to find a way to talk about it because it's 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 a it's an interesting one, and there's some stuff in there uh, as far as the story and some stuff that maybe got lost that actually happened in real life. It's a very interesting movie um, on all accounts. Yeah, I've heard it's a bit of a tough watch at times. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, I think it's a great year. I like the, the picks that ended up getting nominated. I think there's obviously some mistakes. No Oscar year is perfect. But, uh, yeah, I love that Sleepy Hollow got a nod. I love that The Mummy got a nod for best sound mixing. Yes. <laughs> I would have you know, gone a little further on The Mummy, but that's just me. That's one of my favorite movies. <laughs> Gen- genius. Yeah, for sure. Uh, is that, is that all for Fight Club's uh, nominations? Anything else you think? Yeah, no, I think, yeah, I think that was about six. So, yeah, I think they just missed a lot for Fight Club. And, you know, this happens, right? Um, a movie from the year before, 1998, Big Lebowski got nothing, right? And you, yeah. look years, you look years later and you're like, oh, you kind of scratch your head and like, damn, you really missed something there because we just weren't, we weren't quite paying attention when it first happened. And this, this happens with film. This happens with art. Uh, it can happen with music. It can happen, you know, stuff needs time to age. Uh, it happened my way. Like, yeah. nobody beats John Goodman for Best Supporting Actor for The Big Lebowski. Yeah, agreed, agreed, right? You know, you know Roger Deakins is, is working on that film, and you, when you 
break that film down and just, you know, you're just watching it after, you know, laughing over and over and you're just watching, you're like, man, this is a really well-crafted movie. It's essentially like a film noir done by the Coen brothers in a comedic tone. It's, it's wonderful. It's so great. Yeah, it's, it's truly genius. And, you know, it's, it's a movie that will have to pop up on Filmgasm because, you know, there's just not totally a place here uh, because it didn't get nominated. So sad. Incredible. Yeah. But that just means we'll have to do it on Filmgasm. So, yeah. And hey, hey, you know, glad Fight Club got that one so we can talk about it here. So uh, th- this plot, we're going we're gonna to get nice and deep here. It's going to be a lot of fun um, and talk about, you know, our favorite scenes and whatnot. Uh, let's do this, man. Awesome. So Fight Club has an IMDb score of 8.8. Very admirable. It's number 11 on their top rated films of all time. (laughs) Crazy. A Rotten Tomatoes score of 79%. I think that's low, but you know, who am I? (laughs) And um, it grossed about 101 mil on a budget of 63. Yeah. 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 And and again, uh, the, the cult, you know, status the dvd sales and all that has just made it a total success yeah this is one of the most successful cult films in history this film has become just like almost synonymous with the term cult film and uh yeah there's a good reason for that and let's get into it (laughs) yes so our opener is insane the opening credits are incredibly high energy and just immediately suck you in (laughs) just like, like you know we're going through a brain with like, you know, neurons firing and then there's this drum and beat, you know, drum and bass beat and just fight club. <sighs> and as we zoom out, we see that Edward Norton is sitting in a chair with a gun in his mouth and Tyler Durden, Brad Pitt, is holding the gun. And our narrator, Edward Norton, says, let's, let's go back a bit. <laughs> it's, it's told very out of sync and I, I, I think it's a brilliant, you know, way to tell this story you need to tell this story out of sync (laughs) uh the narrator who we never find out his name he's just the narrator uh tells us he's an insomniac he hasn't slept for six months he uh his job is a traveling product recall specialist for a car company god i got tired just saying that most boring job title i've ever heard Uh, his insomnia isn't helped. He has to travel often. He has jet lag. And uh, when he can't sleep, he surfs catalogs and orders furniture from Ikea. <laughs> so good. I love this. I love the, um, you know, something that Brad Pitt is not doing that Edward Norton is the entire movie is, is narrating, is telling us, telling us what's going on and speaking about what's going on inside his head and inside the viewer's head, quite frankly. And when he's speaking about, you know, which dining set, you know, represents me, you know, and all this stuff. It, it's really, really, really funny, but it's fucking depressing. Did it make you look around the room at your furniture? Because I did a little bit. It, it, this, this movie makes me look at my life. Yeah, for sure. It makes me look at the things, the things like, you know, the things that own, you own end up owning you, that classic bit uh, that we'll get to here in a minute. It's just, yeah, for sure. It makes me question like, why do I have all these DVDs? Why do I have all these books? Why do I have, you know, do I really need all these t-shirts? Do I really, need, you know? Yeah, of course. Everything, everything. It, it definitely makes my brain kind of, kind of tick. Yeah. Awesome. 
Fantastic. And I love the, um, the, the uh, tool of the unreliable narrator. And I think this film is brilliant in the way it establishes that Edward Norton sucks at telling his own story because even he has no fucking clue what's going on in his own life. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that when he's narrating and saying like, you wake up at LAX, you wake up at SeaTac, you wake up at... <laughs> You wake up at DFW. <laughs> oh, so good. Because, yeah, you're, you're, you're starting to get kind of, like, blurred just like he is. But can you imagine being so insane that the guy you think is your, like, best friend who started this terrorist organization is actually you and you had no fucking clue? I mean, God damn. I can't imagine the mind fuck. <laughs> yeah. God. Oh. So, yeah, he's a slave of consumerism, and he's fully aware of that. He just realizes that he's not happy. Uh, he goes to his doctor seeking help, but the doctor just suggests an herbal supplement instead of drugs. And I love the guy's like, you want to see pain? Come down to the support group for testicular cancer. That's pain. And that's where we meet Bob, who has bitch tits. <laughs> Meatloaf. Meatloaf. Goddamn. He's great in this. I <laughs> Meatloaf. I'll never not think that's weird but his his name was robert paulson name was robert paulson did you notice the guy who starts saying that first i had no fucking clue he's bill tench in mindhunter yeah that's um god i didn't know that's his name i cannot why can't i think of his name right now uh yeah that guy's awesome uh jesus what's his name i'm gonna look it up while you keep going it's been you know so long since i like i before I watched it for the show, the last time I saw this was about two years ago. And I hadn't watched Mindhunter yet, so I didn't know, you know, I wasn't connecting those dots. So now I am. And, you know, another thing I never noticed was throughout the beginning, Edward Norton, when he's tired, will randomly see just the faintest flicker of Tyler Durden randomly throughout his day. God, I, I love that. Just if you're pausing it, you can fucking see him. It's so smart. <laughs> Incredible. That's uh, his name is Robert Paulson. That guy's name is Holt McElhaney. McElhaney. Yes. Yeah. 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 Cool that Fincher's you know still using people from you know Fight Club in his TV show. Always. Always. Wonderful. So, Robert Paulson, Bob. He was an ex bodybuilder and a steroid user who had his testicles removed uh, after his uh, testicular cancer, and uh, he developed man boobs due to the hormone therapy because his body was uh had so much testosterone that like the estrogen levels got pumped up and it gave him tits (laughs) such tits (laughs) and yeah the narrator just talking about like how for a moment there crushed between bob's enormous tits he broke and he cried (laughs) and he just had a moment (laughs) oh boy and he realizes that these support groups are a way for him to finally feel something. So yeah. he keeps going to these. He's not, you know, he doesn't have cancer. He doesn't have TB. He doesn't have, like, you know, incest survival, which was fucking weird. And, like, just, he, you know, he doesn't have anything. He just needs to feel something. So he goes to all these support groups, mapping out his week. And, like, you know, Wednesday I go to testicular cancer. Friday there's, like, brain lesions. Like, he has this whole thing planned out. It's so fucked up. Yeah, so he can cry and then sleep. It's so sad. Jesus. And uh, 
Then he meets Marla, and that's Helena Bonham Carter, who throws his system out of whack because she's doing the exact same thing. And she, but and he has the gall to call her a tourist <laughs> because she has no, you know, she has no illness either. And he gets disturbed by her lies, and it fucks up his sleeping pattern again. Now he can't sleep. Oh man, this um, this is a really good scene here. When you first see her, you know, she's smoking and that lady is talking and she's like, I just want to get laid one last time. <laughs> I have anal lubricants. I have toys. And they take the mic, from, they take the mic from her. And yeah, it's just like Edward Norton's reactions. Like, what, what the fuck? I was hoping and the, and that the, like at the end of that scene, we see her leave with somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. So good. So funny. And then, and then he confronts, you know, when he's confronting Marla about it and he's fucking tourist. <laughs> And, and, you know, she's like, well, you still have your balls, so I should be able to go to the testicular cancer. My favorite moment of that scene is when she says, I saw you practicing this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. Takes away all of his power. She's, she's amazing. She's so great. The, um, I, I found out the line where she says, I haven't been fucked like that since grade school. Like, she didn't know what grade school was because in – uh, in England, they call it something else. Primary. So, primary school. So yeah, when she found that out, she was disgusted that she yeah. said that on camera. <laughs> yeah, because primary, secondary, and grade is like older. So yeah, she's thinking grade school would be like high school or college, you know, age. <laughs> Elementary school, folks. Just, yeah. yeah. Another piece yeah. of that very sad puzzle. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, he confronts her and they kind of agree to swap days so they don't have to see each other. <laughs> yeah, God, it's so funny when they're mapping it out and figuring out which ones they want to go to. And he's, he's talking to you also saying like, God damn it, she knew I want that, wanted that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, yeah it's, it's something else, man. You know, it's, I've seen this movie so many times, but I'm, I'm kind of locked in right away. Uh, right when I hear that narration and just power, powerful storytelling. For sure. Absolutely. And it's not like, you know, they can rat each other out. What are they going to say? This person's, you know, going yeah. to all the support groups that I'm lying about. <laughs> ah. So yeah, they split up the week, exchange numbers. And despite this, he still can't sleep. He still has insomnia. And on a flight back from one of his business trips where we see the, what he does is he evaluates car accidents and determines whether or not they should recall the product. And most times they shouldn't because that's how they make money. <sighs> Fucked up. He has a formula that determines like, you know, the worth of a human, of a human being in regards to a car accident. Jesus. So on a flight back from one of these business trips, he ends up sitting next to an eccentric soap salesman named Tyler Durden. And they hit it off pretty quickly. Uh, the narrator calls him a uh, single-serving friend because <laughs> everything yeah. on an airplane is single-serving. <laughs> so Smart. good. Yeah. The reason they connect at first is because they have the same briefcase. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> ass and, and a crotch. Uh, yeah, that gives you the ass and a crotch. It's <laughs> There's so many unaddressed parts of air travel that this film finally talks about <laughs> i love it <laughs> yeah right yeah just that short bit where you're on the plane with them too and you're like oh man they're 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 making a whole stand-up bit out of this stuff <laughs> <laughs> oh. so t 
Tyler is a soap salesman, but he also works nights as a projectionist. And he slips in like single, like millisecond images of porn into kid films. Just yes. to mess with people. Just so people yes. can see it and not, you know, <laughs> not realize why they're upset. <laughs> and and that, that same effect that, that Tyler Durden is doing in the movie is exactly what David Fincher is doing with Tyler Durden to the narrator. It's just, oh, yeah, it's so cool. Oh, he arrived. So they, the plane lands. The narrator sees Tyler getting this, like, this awesome convertible and drive off. He's clearly a badass and a successful salesman. And the narrator realizes that they lost his bag because it was vibrating. And the guy is like, most of the times it's an electric razor. Every once in a while, it's a dildo. <laughs> yeah, that scene is great. So Fincher, because you got to really be paying attention to hear it's a dildo. Legally, we can't refer to it as anybody's dildo. It has to be the dildo. <laughs> and Edward Norton's like, I don't have... Uh, and he's like, sure, of course. <laughs> it's all God. good. <laughs> uh, and he's, you know, my whole life was in that bag. He's upset, and then he gets home, and his, his apartment exploded. So everything he owns is gone. All that Ikea stuff, man. Yeah, gone old life so to speak so having nowhere to go he first calls marla and then hangs up on her <laughs> then remembers he's got tyler's business card calls him no answer he walks away the phone call the phone starts ringing he answers it's tyler because he never picks up his phone <laughs> i love that and uh tyler's eating something and he's like who's this <laughs> Just so casual, but also like a little bit threatening. Yeah, it's like an apple, like aggressively eating an apple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he's like, remember me? We had the same briefcase. He's like, oh, yeah. What's up? <laughs> yeah. What do you want? What do you want, man? <laughs> You're not going to believe this. <laughs> so Cliff Booth. So Cliff Booth, that, that bit. <laughs> oh, man. Perfect. I love Brad. Oh. God damn it. <laughs> So they meet in a parking lot behind a bar and they're talking and the narrator just tells him, you know, my place blew up, everything I had. And Tyler's like, well, is it really like everything you had? Like, you still like, did it matter? <laughs> He's starting to plant the ideas, you know, the ideas about life that Tyler's so known for. <laughs> uh, on their way out, uh, the narrator says, you know, I got to go find a hotel. And Tyler's like, you just can't say it, can you? <laughs> you can't. You can't ask me. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is yeah, this is right. You when you look up like Fight Club, and uh, this is a lot of the images you see. This is really cool. It's a really cool shot of them outside the bar, and that's when you when they're talking. He sets the Budweiser up on the telephone, and uh, Tyler Durden goes and grabs the quarter out of the telephone booth, meaning that telephone call never happened because he's calling himself, right? So that whole bit of him like going to the bar and talking to him, he's talking to himself. He ends up fighting himself, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and that's why the guys are intrigued when they see him in the parking lot. They're like, look at this fucking clown. Like, let's go, let's go, let's go help him. Clearly he wants someone to be with, you know, so you start, when you see this movie a few times, you start to kind of like pile those things up and you're like, holy shit, man. Like every, 
every scene has something telling you that these guys are connected, that not everything is as it seems. And I, I, that's one of my favorite touches of the whole movie is the quarter when he grabs the quarter and puts it in his pocket and Tyler Durden's just like, really, man, like you really can't ask me. <laughs> it's, it's great stuff. Cause you're distracted by him talking and his, just his outfit. But what he's doing is so important to the story. Um, and, and what the movie is itself. It's so cool. And eventually the narrator does ask, can I stay with you? Yeah. He's like, no, it's not a problem. I'll ask. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> On one condition, I want you to hit me as hard as you can. Yes. The narrator's like, what? It's like, I want you to hit me as hard as you can. <laughs> and the narrator's like, all right. And he punches him in the ear. And in real God. life, Brad Pitt got punched in the ear. And he's like, what was that? He punched me in the fucking ear because it caught him off guard. <laughs> yeah, it's really weird. His reaction is hilarious. And he's like, no, it was perfect. <laughs> yeah. and they just start beating the shit out of one another but in like a good way like it's like you know it's euphoric it's freeing like you know that experience kind of brings out something and and they return to tyler's house that he is squatting at it's this old rundown house next to a paper mill that's just like fuck to hell but tyler's just been living there for god knows how long and uh, over the coming days, they engage in more fights at the, outside this bar. And they soon attract other people who are watching this, you know, this fight. And soon they start, you know, participating. And they realize that a lot of guys out there have so much pent-up anger and depression and anxiety that this provides a way to unleash all that in an environment where you can feel accomplished and, you know, free. And they establish Fight Club. Yeah. Essentially, yeah. And, you know, the, uh, the book, Chuck wrote the book after, after, after um, <laughs> he got, he got like the shit beat out of him in real life. And he wrote the book because when he went to work, nobody asked him about what happened, right? It, people avoid any sort of tough conversations, right? In the normal, like, workplace, it's just like, oh, how's your cat? And did you go take Billy at a soccer practice, you know, and, and these kinds of things. And Chuck was like disgusted by how the people that he's around every day didn't have the balls to ask him like, what happened to your face, man? Like, are you okay? And you know, it like inspired him to write this book. And then it turned into, it obviously turned into this monster cultural hit. And then this movie and <laughs> what the, the stuff you pointed out is exactly it, man. It's a lot of people will look at this film and I, I'm surprised we haven't brought it up yet look at this film as just a, a bro, you know, dorm room, like frat dude, you know, like uh, uh, movie. And I just don't feel that way. Maybe it is to some people, but personally, I don't feel that way. Obviously the things you and I are attached to are um, beyond just the fighting scenes. We like, we like the way it moves. We like the messages, the weird messages in it. Uh, we like the control David Fincher has. Uh, and it's just, yeah, I, th I think it's a masterpiece, but I don't want people to get confused and think that we're just praising this movie about fighting or something. That's not at all what this is. It's it, false masculinity and not understanding masculinity and, you know, being afraid and to be vulnerable, these kinds of things, right? Because you're taught, you're grown up, you know, you grow up just kind of like 
thinking that you can't share anything or, you know, you're not allowed to, you know, have any of these ideas or thoughts. You just kind of like got to keep going, find a job and keep going. And so, you know, yeah, for men to kind of come up with this group and just like, Hey, let's just fight and have this moment of this moment of, you know, exhilaration of uh, anticipation. And that, that's really cool. Yeah. Hands down. It's never been about the fights. It's about what the fights represent and yes. the fights represent taking charge of your life and just fucking society because of, you know, how dare they, you know, how dare society dictate what you should do? Like, it's all about, you know, your life is yours and fuck anyone who says otherwise. And that's what this movie is pretty much about. Just, you know, yeah. Yeah. Do you, I mean, what they end up doing is, you know, forming a national terrorist cell, but you know, yeah. Oh yeah. Maybe don't no, take it that no. far. Anyway. Yeah. It gets to a crazy crazy place yeah <laughs> and, and and that's that's part of yeah, the you know the book and the movie you know just the story itself it just goes to a crazy place because there's like that mod mentality it's it's really wild so we heard the rules at the beginning of the episode and uh i love you know the first two you don't talk about fight club you know this stays here don't bring it up I love later on, Tyler's like, I see a lot of new faces here tonight. Yeah. Don't fucking cheer. That means a lot of you have been breaking the first two rules. Yeah, yeah, that's great because there's a huge crowd now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so through these fights, Tyler is preaching his unorthodox philosophy on life, his immoral kind of view of, you know, society is wrong. They feed you, you know, shit you don't need. Like, why are you kowtowing to this, you know, machine that doesn't give a shit about you? Not going to lie. It really, you know, after working in an office for quite a while, it really makes you think about things. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. For sure. Yeah. You just, you know, when you just feel like you're neglected and not listened to and your ideas don't matter, it, it takes a toll on people. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, so the narrator uh, gets a phone call from Marla who found it like she's she found his uh, forwarding number and you know he's asking why haven't you been coming to the meetings and he's like well we you know I go when you're not there and she's like no you don't I go to those because you've been you know, I've been cheating <laughs> he's like well fuck I found a new one I don't you know it's for men only and he, yeah he he hates her but he also wants her like it's very clear yeah. Yeah. He like keeps explaining like she's that she's like the itch on the top of your, you know, roof of your mouth that you can't stop messing with, you know, that kind of stuff. It's just, yeah. She took a whole bunch of Xanax and decided to call him and, you know, says, you know, if I stop talking, I'm probably going to die. And he's just like, Ugh. and puts the phone up on top of the receiver. Like, fuck this. I don't need to hear this. And he walks away, finds out later that Tyler picked up the phone followed the call to Marla's place, went and found her, brought her back to the house and fucked her all night. <laughs> I keep, yes. She was like, you're going to have to keep me awake. <laughs> oh and man. Now the narrator has to hear Tyler and Marla's loud, wild lovemaking every like, hour of every day. And he acts like, you know, Marla's in his clubhouse, you know, Tyler was my, no, Tyler's my friend, not yours. He, he's very childish about this. And Tyler picks up on that. But uh, Tyler does ask him, like, hey, you know, if, are you into her? You can tell me. 
And he's like, absolutely not. He's like, all right, I want you to promise. Don't ever talk to her about me. Just don't do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Next morning, she comes into the kitchen. And he's like, why are you here? And she just goes, fuck you, and leaves. And, you know, with hindsight, yeah, of course, she'd be, like, irritated at that statement. He just fucked her all night. And now he's like, why are you, why are you fucking here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You make no sense. <laughs> oh. And after she leaves, Tyler enters the kitchen and is like, whew, <laughs> long night. <laughs> oh. So now, you know, t- narrator wants to know, like, what are we going to do next? And Tyler's like, we are going to make soap. Yes. <laughs> t- uh, the narrator joins Tyler uh, on his uh, equipment run. He's stealing f- human fat out of the dumpster of a lipo clinic. God. <laughs> He says the best fat to use in soap comes from human beings and like a bag gets caught on the barbed wire and just cuts open and it's so goopy and nasty. And yeah. Yeah. (laughs) God. Yeah. He comes, they bring it home. Tyler shows him how to render tallow from the fat explains a bit about soap making. And uh, he has the guy, um, Tyler has the narrator hold out his hand. Narrator narrator's like, what's this now? And Tyler's like, oh, it's a chemical burn and pours lye on his oh, hand. God, dude. God. And it's just bubbling in his hand. The narrator's freaking out. <laughs> and Tyler refuses to let him wash off the burn. Says, you know, water's going to loosen the burn and that this is a rite of passage. <laughs> he says, you know, you need to accept that you are not at bottom. You don't know what it is, but this is your first step. <laughs> you really want to learn what it means to have nothing, let it burn. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, and that's, that's the scene where apparently Brad Pitt's parents had to stop watching. When they were, when they were watching Fight Club, they were like, oh, uh, I think we're out. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, he said, he said that. On, I think he said that. I, think, I believe it was Mark Maron's podcast where he said that and admitted, yeah, his parents gave up at that point. God, I would love to hear Brad Pitt dissect his career. Oh yeah, check that that podcast out. Uh, him and Leo were on Mark Maron's podcast, you know, about a year ago when Once Upon a Time came out, and then he was on Bill Simmons' podcast around the same time. And yeah, he really gets into it. It's really cool. Fantastic. I always liked him. I always thought he was a, like he seemed like a like a cool guy. In, in, oh yeah, real life. He yeah. doesn't really take himself too seriously and just kind of enjoys the work. I love that. Yeah, yeah, he's awesome. So after the narrator accepts this. Tyler shows his own lie burn on his hand and uh, neutralizes the burn with vinegar. <laughs> Jesus. That whole scene just makes me fucking cringe. It's, yeah, it's super gritty. And then when you see other people with the burn, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> Becomes like the unofficial symbol of you know, Project Mayhem, as we will Init- know. Initiation. <laughs> Later, they meet with a cosmetic salesperson at a department store who comments, this is the best soap. And Tyler's like, thank you very much. And the narrator comments that they're selling rich old, like rich old ladies their own fat asses back to them. It's perfect. So, yeah, it's awesome. It's sick, but it's awesome. <laughs> oh. um, the narr- so I think around this time, uh, the narrator runs into Bob just walking around 
And Bob's like, we thought you were dead. <laughs> Hugs him and says, you know, I found a new club, but we're not supposed to talk about it. That's one of the rules. <laughs> and the narrator's like, I'm, I'm a member. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> I love that Bob just found it independently. Yeah, that's perfect. I, I, I'm a member. <laughs> <laughs> and then the narrator, along with, you know, and Tyler hold up a college dropout at gunpoint at a convenience store, threatening to kill him if he doesn't pursue his dream of being a vet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is a, this is a tough scene, right? Um, like ph- philosophically. And he's holding this, this young guy at gunpoint saying, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? And he's like, animals, you know? And he's like, a veterinarian. Okay, veterinarian. You want to help animals, okay? And he's like, well... I'm going to take your license so I can check up on you. I know where you live. And he's like, you know, in however long he says, you know, if you don't, if you're not on your way to becoming a veterinarian, I'm going to kill you. And then, you know, he's like, okay, go. And he's like, run forest, run. And then he throws the narrator, the gun and he opens it and there's no bullets in it. And this philosophy of be really tough on people and, force them to do exactly what they want to do because no one else is, you know, uh, like light a fire, a fire under their ass sort of mentality is, you know, obviously effective in some manner, but it's, yeah, but it's not right to treat people that way. So it's, it's a very gray, like character and phil- uh, philosophy that he goes by. He's basically, you know, he's Jim Jones. He's a cult leader. He's creating, yeah, yeah. He's, he's become this mythical folk figure to fight club. Like the way they describe Tyler Durden is like, you know, he's seven feet tall and he shoots fire and he's a ghost. Like they describe him like he's a mythical creature. It's crazy. It's all because, you know, Edward Norton was beating his own ass. <laughs> crazy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, around that time, a fight club is interrupted by Lou, the bar owner who owns the bar that they're having fight club in. And um, he beats the shit out of Tyler when he's not falling in line. Oh and man, this is this is a great scene. When yeah, who are you? You see, you see, loose tavern. I'm fucking Lou. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, oh, I'm Tyler. You know, <laughs> it's just, God, this is a great scene. <laughs> and then after just beating him, you know, half to death. Tyler jumps Lou and coughs blood all over him and just demands to keep the basement. Lou agrees and they're like, you can keep the basement. Just don't stop it. Oh man. Brad Pitt. Yeah. When he's down and then just jumps on him and he's like, you don't know where I've been, Lou. <laughs> and, and, then, and then his buddies, you know, help him, help him up. Right. Cause he's down still. And, you know, he just spent all of his energy saving this space for them to keep fighting. And so his boys help him over. And when he sits down and, you know, he picks his leg up and, carries it over and he gives them that assignment of go pick a fight uh like in your normal day you know normally daily lives so cool that demented cackle he does when he's on the ground (laughs) yeah (laughs) jesus christ i mean if he if he had been nominated this is like this is the scene i think so yeah well yeah i think i i think when he's uh, he's like oh shit i lost it you know when he when luke keeps punching him and he's like oh i heard you oh fuck i lost it you know that whole bit, yeah, is his Oscar, like, campaign. <laughs> Damn. I wish we could retroactively give Oscars. 
I know, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So he tells these guys pick a fight in, in real life, and we get this montage of members of Fight Club just starting shit out in the wild. <laughs> and I love the one guy who keeps spraying the businessman with the hose. That's the best. And the guy's like, just stop. He doesn't know how to handle this situation. What are you doing? Yeah, stop. Nobody wants to be in a fight. And, you know, it takes a lot to get somebody to that mental point where they're willing to throw a punch at you. I mean, certain people, some people will just, you know, go there immediately. But normal people (laughs) don't don't get triggered that quickly. (laughs) Well, and they don't want to trigger somebody else, right? They want to avoid getting hit. So, yeah, it's that's a very good scene. <laughs> One of them antagonizes a priest. Like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, hilarious scene. Like hits the book out of his hand. Yeah. What are you gonna do about it, priest? Yeah, and he's just like, <laughs> Stop. What are you doing? I love how funny this movie is. Oh, it's fucking hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> poignant, huh. funny poignant, funny, innovative. Uh, yeah, everything, you know, all, like kind of crosses everything uh, off the board. Yeah. yeah. So after a bit of that, Marla leaves. Tyler introduces the narrator to his new thing. He's been um, using his skills in soap making. Tyler has turned the basement of the house into a lab where he uses soap and other in, uh, household ingredients to make dynamite. <laughs> and uh, the narrator gets a call from the arson uh, department at the cops and says, hey, your apartment was blown up with homemade dynamite. Hmm. <laughs> Connecting those dots. <laughs> Tyler and the narrator continue managing Fight Club, but this time, you know, they're not exactly together. Tyler's much more involved than the narrator is. He's been getting flack at work. I love gradually he's giving less of a shit at his job. He's like not even wearing a tie anymore. He's not talking. He's not even doing his work. And he finally has a confrontation with his boss where he, <laughs> he um, blackmails him. He says he knows about the substandard practice of the recall thing and says you know, he'll keep his mouth shut if he's allowed to work from home with increased pay. <laughs> the guy's like, who the, who the fuck do you think you are? Yeah, that's, that's, our, that's our guy from Tommy Boy. He's like, hey, Richard, you got an edit button on that thing? That is the guy. Oh, my God. <laughs> I had a kidney removed the- last, last summer, but I still have the other one. Boy, would I like to get some of that. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, that guy plays such a douche so well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Doesn't know the and, first uh, thing about brake pads. <laughs> and the So this guy's obviously like, you know, security, and the narrator starts kicking his own ass, severely beating the shit out of himself. Like, just punching himself in the face, throwing himself into tables and shelves. So when security shows up, he's on his knees covered in blood, crying at his boss, don't hit me anymore, please. Oh, perfect. And now security thinks, you know, this guy's <laughs> beating the shit out of employees. So he gets escorted out with a new computer and a stay-at-home job with benefits. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you ever want to, you know, excel at work without doing much work, just walk into your boss's office. And just beat the shit out of yourself. That's yeah. the lesson. See, see how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just picturing somebody do that, but they had like a camera like right on them. <laughs> just like escorted out of the building, like just covered in blood. 
or like i i love the idea of like <laughs> if someone were to go into like a someone's office and it's a very like minimalist office so there's not like a lot of stuff to break so you're just kind of like looking around like oh. there's no glass ah fuck yeah <laughs> i guess i'll try to break this chair and it's like you know man out of wood and you can't break it that would be really funny so you're just <laughs> using these props that can't break <laughs> you look around you're like excuse me for a second you cut you, you leave you come back with like a desk you're rolling into the into the office like, yes yeah exactly yeah <laughs> just like fuck it run through the window yeah <laughs> tyler can eventually assigns homework to his recruits and preaches to them about the detriments of consumerism and how relying on society and authority figures is not going to work. And he proposes to revert back to when a man's worth depended on the sweat on his back and where he only used what he needed when, you know, you controlled your own life and you determined your life's worth yourself. Nobody else did. You did. And this philosophy evolves into the next level of Fight Club, Project Mayhem. Shit's getting bad now. (laughs) And the fighting in the basements turns into acts of vandalism and destruction. And uh, these actions don't go unnoticed. The cops are now looking for an underground um, team of vandals. And uh, (laughs) Tyler manages to capture the lead investigator, tie him up, and threaten him with castration. Jesus Christ. Those are the rules. Anybody who threatens Project Mayhem, they're going to cut off your balls. <laughs> yeah, I, that scene is incredible, right? When you're looking at Brad Pitt's face, it's kind of like in Glorious Bastards, the way it's shot. Uh, when you're looking at Brad like that from, and it's like from the toilet. <laughs> it's crazy. Something you can't take off. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, this guy is just like, you know, tied up. He's the lead investigator on this case. And Brad Pitt leans in and is like, look, we know you're the lead investigator, so you're going to drop all this or we're going to take your balls. Yes. Like, my organization is comprised of everyone who works for you. We cook your meals, we clean your toilets, so don't fuck with us. <laughs> Shit, man. Oof. God. To just, like, to have, like, a detective on the ground, his pants down, a knife to his balls. <laughs> I'm, I can honestly say I've never seen that before. showing. Yeah, with him just like scared out of his fucking mind, as you would yeah. be. <laughs> and it works. My God. <laughs> oh. So the house where, you know, Tyler and the narrator have been living is now turned into, you know, the hub of Project Mayhem. All the new recruits are put through a rigorous initiation and training and the plans are hatched. And, and, and the first rule of Project Mayhem is there are no, you know, don't ask questions. <laughs> So the narrator can't get any information from anybody. <laughs> oh. So as this grows, the narrator starts feeling more distant from Tyler. He starts feeling a little jealous. And uh, he beats the shit out of a recruit played by Jared Leto. Like, because he wanted to destroy something beautiful. So he just bashes Jared Leto's face in at a fight club while everybody watches. As they walk away from the Fight Club meeting, Tyler drives the narrator and two members in a in a large like Lincoln. And in the rain, Tyler taunts the narrator, suggesting that he has not yet begun to live his life to the fullest potential. And 
when Tyler picks up on this jealousy, he calls the narrator weak, pathetic, threatens to you know, drive into traffic and teach him a lesson. He's got kind of a point. Like, you know, what have they been working towards, if not to free themselves from this bullshit? Yeah. <laughs> and then Tyler admits that he's the one who blew up the narrator's apartment. It's like, that's why I blew up your <laughs> <the> apartment. <laughs> The narrator finally gives in. Tyler lets the car drift. They, they hit another car. They emerge from the wreck with Tyler exclaiming that this is a new life, a near-death experience, so it's all new from here. This is your second chance. <laughs> Tyler disappears for a while. The narrator's left at home with Project Mayhem members watching TV and laughing at their publicized acts of vandalism like the big smiley face fire they put on a building. <laughs> And when the narrator demands to know more, Bob tells him the first rule of Project Mayhem is you do not ask questions. It's all anybody ever tells him. Oh, man. And later, Bob gets shot in the back of the head. And they were trying to sabotage a, they're trying to destroy a coffee shop. The cops found him, Bob got shot. They brought Bob back. He's dead. And uh, now they're like, you know, what do we do? And uh, Mindhunter guy suggests that in death, the members of Project Mayhem can have names. And they all start chanting, his name was Robert Paulson. His like, name was Robert Paulson. His name was Robert Paulson. Jesus. Shut <laughs> just up. shows like Shut how up. much of a, yeah, it shows just like how much of a cult this thing has become. This is no yeah. longer guys getting, you know, just getting their rocks off and, you know, beating the shit out of something. This is insane. And the narrator realizes that, but there's nothing he can do. So now he's trying to find Tyler and he discovers a list of phone numbers he's been using. And he goes all over the country discovering that Tyler has been making fight clubs everywhere. He's got fight clubs and to further extent, Project Mayhem terrorist cells established in so many major cities. It's fucking crazy. And at one particular bar, the bartender addresses the narrator as sir. Oh, so good. <laughs> Which prompts the narrator to ask, like, do you know me? And he's like, are you sure this isn't a test? <laughs> he's like, it's not a test. What's, who am I? He says, you're Tyler Durden, sir. <laughs> the first time I saw ah, this, okay. Jesus okay. Christ. <laughs> One of the most mind-blowing plot twists in film history. And it makes perfect sense. <laughs> Ugh, in hindsight, there are so many clues. So many oh, moments. Yeah. All over the place. Yeah. <laughs> and he just has, you know, this, what the fuck? So he goes to his hotel room and he calls Marla and asks if they've ever had sex. And Marla's like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Marla, Marla deals with so much shit. Come on. Are you trying to piss me off? <laughs> She's like, 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 are you confirming our relationship? Are you asking if we've ever had sex or made love? And he's like, so we have made love. Like, I don't fucking get you, Tyler. Ah! <laughs> Jesus. Uh. <laughs> Marla hangs up, and Tyler appears in the room and confronts the narrator, telling him, like, you broke your promise. You weren't supposed to talk to Marla about me. And the narrator's like, who am I? Who are you? <laughs> he's, he's lost it. Ah. Uh. And now, you know, Tyler's like, I think you know who I am. And he confirms, yeah, they're the same person. Tyler is 
everything that the narrator wants to be. He's free. He's a badass. He's handsome. He's good with women. He's, you know, the alpha male. Yeah, he's, I fight like you want to fight. I fuck like you want to fuck. I look how you want to look. You know, all those things. So, yeah, great scene. And most importantly, I'm free like you never will be. Yeah, yep. <laughs> Jesus. Mm. So th- because of the narrator's insomnia, he can't sleep. So whenever he, whenever he thinks he's sleeping, Tyler takes over and, you know, does the Project Mayhem shit. <laughs> it's so... God damn, this movie is so fucking smart. It's, it doesn't get enough credit for how brilliantly layered this thing is. It's great. It's like, ugh, yeah, it's like a I, yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> I'll never forget that first time that I was like, whoa, in the hotel room when you're putting everything together. Oh, it all makes sense now. You know, it's just one of those kind of perfectly wrapped with a bow. Uh, I will say that if it like would have ended right there, that would have been pretty fucking powerful, but it still does have a nice, you know, last 20 minutes or so. You know, with this and the sixth sense, 99 was really the year of the twist. (laughs) No kidding. Damn. Um, So yeah, when he, when he wakes up, he faints, he wakes up, he finds another phone list with calls from all over the country. Tyler took over again. (laughs) He returns to his home, find it completely empty, except for a bulletin board with a display of folders uh, detailing certain buildings in the financial district. And he finds, he calls the numbers and finds each of those buildings has been infiltrated with Project Mayhem. The maintenance staff and the, you know, like the janitors. And he realizes Tyler's going to destroy them, erasing credit card company records and wiping the debt slate clean. It's going to cause financial chaos. And this isn't just going to happen here. It's going to happen fucking everywhere. <laughs> My God. So in a panic, the narrator, he grabs all the info, reports himself to the cops, starts talking about the arson, talking to the arson inspector, everything he knows. And he goes to check up on stuff. And the cops he's left with are like, this is very brave, sir. <laughs> I didn't think it would come to this. I didn't think you'd be able to do it. But we are more than willing to serve it, like to service. And he's like, Fuck, the cops are in on it. The cops are Project Mayhem people. Jesus. And they grabbed uh, the narrator and they're going to cut his balls off because he talked. Yeah, they're like, you definitely say that. You said you definitely say that. Goddamn. And he gets a hold of one of their guns and gets out of there in his underwear. I love that. He's like walking through the police station in a shirt, his underwear with a gun. <laughs> Beautiful. Very Walter White. Yeah. Yes. Oh. He escapes. Uh, runs to one of the buildings set for demolition. First, he finds Marla and tells her, you need to get out of town. Somebody, you know, they're after you. Just trust me on this. And she's like, fuck you. <laughs> like, what is going on? I don't need this shit. And he, she gets on a, on a bus reluctantly, turns to him and says, Tyler, you're the worst thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> shit. She, she doesn't mince words. I love that. And this, yeah. this woman looks like she's had a lot of bad shit happen to her. <laughs> So he goes running to one of the buildings, finds an unmarked van in the parking garage filled with nitro, tries to disarm the bomb. Tyler shows up, goads him and says, you know, maybe I've been thinking about the wrong wires all day because I know you do this. <laughs> oh, not the green one. Anything but the green one. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and he's, he disarms the bomb. He gets it. And Tyler's like, you weren't supposed to do that and starts kicking his ass in real life. 
Tyler's kicking his own ass, and it looks really weird on the surveillance camera. Oh, Tyler wins, reactivates the bomb. The narrator, well, he brings he brings the narrator to another building where they can watch the destruction. Now we're back to the opening scene with the gun in his mouth. And uh, Tyler says, you know, any last words? And the narrator says, I still can't think of anything. And admittedly, those are pretty good last words. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no. Tyler insists that, you know, what he's doing is, you know, he's freeing mankind from consumerism, giving them all a chance to start anew. It's, I love the transition from, like, idealist to full-on bad guy that Tyler Durden does in this film. It's so great. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he, he points out there won't be any casualties. Everyone who's in the building are Mayhem members, and they're going to get out free. So, you know, nobody's going to get hurt here. Like, knocking down, you know, four skyscrapers in the middle of the city is going to hurt nobody. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> now he's realized, you know, he comes to realize that Tyler does not have a gun on him. He's holding the gun. There is no yeah. Tyler. He's starting to make these connections. And he puts it, the gun to his own chin, tells Tyler to listen to him, says, you know, my eyes are open, puts the gun in his mouth, pulls the trigger. The bullet gets him on the side of the mouth. It's amazing he fucking survived this. Shoots himself, like, in the back of the, of the mouth, but somehow blows off Tyler's head. He dies, quote-unquote. Marla shows up with a bunch of Project Mayhem members, and they're like, you know, sir. And he's like, just leave him, leave, get out of here. Leave, leave her. And she's getting ready to, like, chew him out. And then she's like, oh, my God, what happened to your face? (laughs) So, as, you know, he's kind of, you know, tying up his wounds. Yeah. The bombs go off. And uh, suddenly we hear uh, Where's My Mind by the Pixies start playing as all the buildings go down. It's become an iconic pop culture scene. And uh, he turns to Marla and says, you met me in a very strange time in my life. And it's just absolute fucking chaos. It's wild. <laughs> it's a wild ending that Tyler won. Like, is all going to go to hell. He did it. And, yeah, crazy. Great movie. I'd give it a 9 out of 10. Yeah, man. I, I definitely have battled with you know the, the rating i'm gonna give it and i you know I, i'd give it a 10 I, I think it's you know a masterpiece and that ending like you said is so chaotic and you're kind of like oh man the narrator is left to deal with this because uh, tyler won but he's dead and that's like something you really have to battle with as the credits start rolling and you're processing this crazy movie it, it is so good so good my favorite my favorite scene is that you know we've I've talked to you about this before we recorded the tracking shot of Brad Pitt going into Lou's tavern, uh, and he's like, oh, you know, we got to deal with Irvin, and Irvin's behind the bar, and he's like, oh, everybody's gonna leave, you know, and Tom Waits is playing in the background. It's just, yeah, that's just a chilling, chilling kind of you know scene, and the soundtrack's awesome, you know, the score, Dust Brothers, awesome stuff. Uh, yeah, I can't can't really find a way to complain about it anymore. Uh, I've had an interesting relationship with it as years have gone by. There's been times where I'm like, oh, it's good, but it's not great. And then now, yeah, now I've come full circle, and I yeah, I just I absolutely love it. Ten out of ten. Fantastic, man. Favorite scene? That's an interesting question. I I don't know. I think it, it might be the chemical burn. I think that's a yeah. great. I think it's a great scene, especially when you realize he did that shit to himself. 
and yeah. you really get to see like Tyler's true philosophy for the first time there, where it's not about, you know, just beating the shit out of one another. It's about control or lack thereof. And he really makes that clear. And yes. yeah, I love that. And I love the scene where he's, uh, he's going to the different cities and he's walking through the kitchen of a restaurant and you just hear his name is Robert Paulson. <laughs> Like being chanted yeah, yeah. by the chefs, and then they just stop. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> the scope of this thing by the end of it is unreal. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I, I know there's you know little 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 kicks here and there. Like there's 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 a Starbucks cup in a ton of the shots, and there's a cool like uh, thing that someone's put together in Tumblr where it has the minute and the shot itself. Uh, with the Starbucks cup there and all, you know, things like that where it's calling out, you know, the biggest names in consumerism <laughs> and yeah, just kind of, kind of a punch you in the face movie. I you know, just, yeah, really, really like it. And I'll, I'll own it forever. I honestly think the reason this was shut out of the Oscars is because they were afraid of it. They were afraid of what it represented of what it meant to like the significance of film. I think they were, they weren't ready to accept a film like this. Yeah, that's that's totally fair because yeah, you got to believe you know twenty years later, it certainly would be up for a lot more. So far in our run, like films like Pulp Fiction and Whiplash and On the Waterfront, have really just said like "fuck you" to the man. <laughs> I love that that's become like our unofficial genre, almost. It's just yeah, just that yeah. Like what we like. Yeah, no, yeah, it's great, and you know, I love that. Yeah, that great dictator, Doctor Strange, Love One Two was really special. We've had a good run of film so far. 12 episodes in. This is nice. I like this. Yeah, fantastic stuff. Um, I think that takes us into this week in film. Yes, Let's it does. Let's talk about what happened uh, this week in film. First up, it's been announced that J.C. Chandor, the guy who directed Triple Frontier, is going to be helming a Craven the Hunter movie for Sony. Amazingly, Sony still is unwilling to play ball with Marvel and just let everybody play in the sandbox. They want to have their own sandbox, and it's not looking too good. Not looking like a fun sandbox. Not compared no, to Marvel's not, sandbox. No, not <laughs> looking like a sandbox that's going to have a lot of participants. Yeah. No. Venom, Morbius, and now Craven the Hunter. They're making movies out of Spider-Man's villains because they can't use Spider-Man. It's... I mean, just, just partner up. Everybody will make money. Everybody will... Ah, fuck it. They don't yeah, play. I know. It's so frustrating. Sony doesn't play nice. No. Uh, this one upset me. Will Smith and Kevin Hart are going to be remaking Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. I don't like that. Don't no like comment. That no comment. I, yeah, I, I don't want to get too angry. Yeah. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is one of the greatest holiday comedies of all time. Nobody, and I mean nobody, can recapture the magic of Steve Martin and John Candy. And I don't like that they're even going to fucking try. I mean, they already remade this in 2010. It was called Due Date. Like, just leave it. <laughs> yeah, that's I picked thing. up on that's, that immediately. That's the thing, right? Is we have a wild, wild abundance of buddy-buddy comedies. We don't need another one. Be creative, please. Stop using the same tropes that have been used since 1987 with planes trains <laughs> make a different fucking movie how many times are we going to remake comedy greats before we realize it's a bad fucking idea i mean you know ghostbusters the hustle just give up yeah, Stop it. yeah. can't do it <laughs> um 
this was awesome. So Ben Affleck is indeed returning to play Batman in the upcoming Flashpoint movie alongside Michael Keaton. We're going to get two Batman for the price of, well, two, because they're both going to get a lot of money for this. Yes, <laughs> that is true. But very exciting. Yes. Very exciting. This could be the movie that finally redeems the DCEU. God, I hope they really, really try. Yeah, you have to. We're getting Michael Keaton's return. Affleck's going to get a good farewell for Batman. Uh, Andy Muschietti, who did the It films, is doing this. So that's great. I'm, I'm excited. I hope it works out. Trailer time. We have three new trailers that were released this week. Let's talk about them. First up, The Devil All the Time. My word, that looks fantastic. <laughs> yeah, man, I can't wait, right? Uh, the fact that it's going to be on Netflix is really exciting. We can watch it right away. Um, we will be doing an episode on that movie either on this show or our Filmgasm show, uh, which releases every Wednesday. So, we're not quite sure yet. We're going to watch it first and then kind of choose where it should go. Um, my guess is Filmgasm, uh, but we'll see. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, fantastic film. Looks like a kind of a, you know, cult mentality. Robert Pattinson, Tom Holland, Bill Skarsgård, Sebastian Stan, Mia Wasikowska. Fantastic cast. And I, yeah, very excited. Then we have Death on the Nile, the newest Hercule Poirot mystery from Kenneth Branagh, his sequel to 2017's Murder on the Orient Express. Yes. It's basically the exact same story on a boat. And um, this stars Gal Gadot, Army Hammer, Rose Leslie, Annette Benning, Letitia Wright, Jennifer Saunders, Russell Brand, and of course, Kenneth Branagh. Yes. And I'm excited. I thought Murder on the Orient Express was okay. But, you know, Kenneth Branagh something about that guy I just i like it i like his work <laughs> yeah and i like him you know I, I i i like his persona his charisma and so yeah i can kind of get behind whatever he does uh orin express was yeah it was all right you know that was right around when i first started working at alamo draft house so i saw that early on and yeah it, it was okay i still think like the 1974 version is tops albert finney's oh yeah no Faro. yeah that would be such a fun movie to do on this show because it was up for a lot of Oscars. Yeah, one day when we're in the 70s, for sure. Um, and then we had the trailer for On the Rocks, an A24 Apple TV combo production written and directed by Sofia Coppola, starring Bill Murray, Rashida Jones, and Marlon Wayans. And I didn't hear about this movie until literally an hour ago, and now I really want to see this. Yeah, man. Sophia is, you know, she's the shit. I love her. Uh, one of the more, in my, in my opinion, one, one of the more strong, uh, you know, female directors that we, we have. Um, super, super excited for that because it clearly has some similar uh, vibes and atmosphere to Lost in Translation. Uh, her go-to, her muse, Bill Murray, um, the, the man himself. Drinking scotch. Yeah, I can't wait, man. I'm super, super hyped for that one. I don't know when we'll be able to see it, and I'm not sure if we'll ever do a proper podcast on it, but we'll definitely have a review up at some point. With all these, you know, streaming services, we can't, you know, we can't afford all of them. We're not Apple TV subscribers. There are some films on Apple TV I'd love to see. Greyhound, The Banker, now on the rocks. But I just, you know, I'm not willing to shell those extra bucks. Just, I, you know. You got to draw the line somewhere. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah, you know, 
it's there's already like you said there's already these other streaming services and all these things that you're into and at some point you got to draw the line for yourself for your own sanity so you're not just always watching you got to live a little too <laughs> <laughs> this is how i live but uh, uh agreed but there's still <laughs> a window yeah if we ever get a dvd release on some of these films then absolutely we'll try to you know talk about them in some capacity but uh obviously we're not going to be you know week of that's impossible so sorry yeah don't have the funds to do so one day <laughs> so what are we doing next week next week is gonna be very interesting so if you've been with us uh thank you for coming back we're really enjoying this is a uh, now 12 episodes in on this show and we were we're really happy with it and have a really cool schedule lined up for different kinds of movies and we're always trying to move all over these different decades of the Oscars. So um, last week we were able to cover Wings from, the, from 1927. And at that point we had covered every single decade that the Oscars have you know, been around. So we reshuffled you know, the, the, the cycle. And so we're back in the 90s with Fight Club today. Hope you guys had fun listening to that. Next week is kind of a wild card because we did Defy Bloods last time around on this, this cycle. So I decided to go with a foreign film. Uh, I wanted to choose a film neither of us had seen. Uh, and what's fascinating about this one is it was up for best foreign language film, sorry, one, and was also up for best picture. So you got kind of, you know, uh, a film that broke those barriers. And it's 1969's Z, which was directed by Costa Gavras. Um, it's a French Algerian movie directed by a Greek guy, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're really excited to dive into that. I've read nothing but amazing things about it. It's available on Amazon Prime right now to rent for $299 SD, $399 HD. And then it's also available on Criterion Channel to watch for free if you have the service. Uh, highly suggest trying that trial out if you can. I believe it's a free two-week trial. After that, it's about $11 a month. Uh, that's how we're going to watch Z if you want to keep up and come back next week and listen to us talk about our first, um, you know, first foreign film um, that we're doing here. Uh, I thought it was fitting to choose a movie that we haven't seen because that's kind of, you know, part of the growing process with watching foreign films, right? Is reaching out and seeing stuff you've never heard of or seen. So that's what we're trying to do here. Uh, I'm really excited. Yes, indeed. Very excited as well. I've uh, really, it's been like the past couple of years where I've really started to open myself up to foreign film and I've liked a lot of what I've seen. And uh, this will be, you know, another journey. I'm excited. And I think this is of the first 12, this will be the first one I think neither of us have seen on the first watch. Oh, uh, in the bedroom. Oh, yeah. Okay. Second then. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Just those two uh, very different movies. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm, I, I, I like that, that anticipation. It's happened a few times on Filmgasm, especially when we were seeing new films last year. But that anticipation of, um, you know, we're watching these movies with, you know, a really serious lens so that we can come out and say what we think should have been awarded or not awarded. So we're going to watch Z for the first time with that lens. Uh, really excited. I, th I think um, if you want to hear something really different from what we've done on Filmgasm and here on Oscar Sunday, I'd say come back next week for Z. Yes, yes indeed. And uh, this week on the Filmgasm podcast, we are revisiting an old favorite. We're going to yes. 1990s. 97, I believe. Scream 2. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And Scream 3, I think, is 99, right? Yeah. Or am I wrong? 2000. Damn. Okay. 
Yeah, so Scream is ninety. Scream is ninety six, and Scream Two is ninety seven. So they went back to back because they were like, we got to capitalize off this shit. Art Scream Two is a great sequel. Uh, Josh will be joining us, and you can check out Scream Two and Z on Spotify. We are now on Spotify, so very excited about that. We're just growing. We're only going to get better. And thank you for being with us this long. If you're a long time listener, and if you're new, well, check out some of our back catalog. You might like it. yeah for real we got a lot of it and uh yeah i think that about wraps it up for flight club this was a great episode had a lot of fun doing this movie and uh yeah looking forward to z next week we'll see you next sunday peace